The following was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Jesse Giglio is speaking. I want to kind of talk a little bit about this thing we talked about at our guys group. And it, it's this idea of, of hometown and place and where we come from. And when we look at this, the narrative of the Bible, and particularly where we've been hanging out in the Old Testament, it's very place-oriented. Right now, it's, it's, it's extremely place-oriented. God is promising this place, and they go from different altars that are in a certain place, and, and certain cities have a name that, that carries an idea of that place, and other cities have a name that carries the idea of that place, whether it's house of praise or, or place of, of ruin. Uh, we've looked at that in past weeks, so, so place is very important. And in our kind of opening group, we kicked around this idea of hometown. I just want to read a little bit. This is from our guys group the other night, from Roger's book, and uh, it goes like this. Land has a hold on us. This is uh, from, from Roger's book. Land has a hold on us. Hometowns, hometowns are the earth in which we are planted. We take root and grow with the rain and sun given. Some hometowns are good earth, rich and fertile. Others are desolate soil where nothing good can grow. We bled on our land, falls from skateboards and bikes, and noses bloodied when defending childhood honor. Our blood mixes with the dirt and becomes something stronger, glue that binds us to a place. We all have complicated relationships with our hometowns. The place we're born says something about our family. If we stay or leave, it says something about us. A hometown has a narrative that is difficult to escape. We kicked around this question through the guide, and it was, where did you grow up and why did you stay or leave? And it seems like a very basic question, and it was the first of probably five or six questions set up for the night. We barely got through that first question. Because once you start hearing people's story about where they come from, and then the idea, why did you stay or leave? It could really open up a, a, sort of a, a, another narrative that you don't know about. Whether it was heartbreak or heartache or, or positive opportunity or, or negative reaction, it kind of causes us movement. And we look at the, the story of Abraham, and particularly today, a little more into Lot. Well, see, he's kind of driven by something, and it has to do with place and movement and maybe running away from something that where, he, where he should have been. And it's interesting that place has a hold on us in this way. And, and this theme obviously is, is evident throughout Scripture and Israel fighting for land and, and memorials and, and, and temples. And, and it, it, for some, it's a drawing toward, I've got to get back to that. Remember, Abraham, he's got to get back to the altar. I've got to get back to where I started from because that was very important for me. That was very formative for me. Some of us need that in our life. I've got to get back to that place. And other times, it's like a running away from, like I had a really bad experience there. I don't want to go there again. And it's interesting that, that we sometimes like to create physical geographical distance from places that are hard times for us, right? Like, we want to get away. Like, we've talked about that in our group the other night. A few people shared stories that were difficult, whether it was parenthood or relationship. And he's like, I had to get out of there. I couldn't even be in that place. I couldn't just stay in that town and ignore it and not talk to anyone. I needed to move physically away. I had to get away. Southwest created an entire ad campaign around this idea of like creating physical geographical distance from a person in like an awkward event, right? Like you did something dumb and stupid, got to get away. Like you have to get on a plane and move from that place because place has a hold on us in that way. Because it seems like, well, who cares? Just stay there and, and don't think about it. But physically movement, and we look at the sort of story of Abraham, these, this movement, we look at a lot pinging around. We'll get to that today. And I, I know some of you haven't been with us, and so we'll try to speed you up. This kind of movement and, and leaving and returning to is, is, is very important. And we talked about hometown the other night. It was interesting for me. Uh, I grew up in a, in a small town in New Jersey, and some of you guys have heard that. A very little beach town. Um, but I hadn't been there in about 13 or 14 years until last fall. <clears throat> My brother got um, 
my, bro my brother got married, and we went back home to my hometown. My parents have since moved, and there's just nothing really there for me, and I just, it just hasn't been worth, uh, worth the trip. But we went back to, to Beach Haven, New Jersey, where I grew up. And driving through this little beach town uh, and looking at this school that I, I grew up in, the arcade I played in, and the baseball field I, I pitched in, and the street I, I grew up on, and the places I, the places I surfed, like, it brought back all these memories, things I haven't thought about for years. And we begin to sort of appreciate that when we take a stroll through those kind of places, that these, these places, they, they, they hold our memories. They're containers of memory, right? They're not, they're not things you've thought about before. When I go back here, all of a sudden, I'm reminded of many things. And we see Abraham return to those places. It's part of that process for him. It's like, oh, my gosh, I had to get back here. Now all this stuff's coming back for us. Now, so not all of us have the liberty to return to these places in our life. But this is sort of argue the importance of, of, of place, that they contain memory. My hometown was a, a very small kind of beach community. It was very much like Pierpont. When I explain it, it's like Pierpont with no Ventura. It's like Pierpont and then 30 miles away to the next thing. So it's a very small, surf-driven culture, uh, a lot of construction, seasonal, very busy in the summer, very slow in the winter. Like the shops boarded up their windows. There was nothing at, at all to do. But it was formative for me and became my reality. And like even our hometown heroes were like, they were these, these surfer guys, the older surfer guys. I remember this particular one that he was this like super skinny, leather skin, toothless guy with wild hair. Amber, you remember this guy. He was, you met him back in the day. Just this crazy guy. We call him the owl because he was just like awkward. He's these huge eyes. And he was on the cover of Surfer Magazine once. So he was just a hero. He was a year ago. You know, he, he was probably 40-something when I knew him. He lived with his mom. He drank a 12-pack a day. But he was like the hero. Like, we love this guy. Everybody loved this guy. And that's formative in, in sort of in, in my life. I was reading some articles today just on my hometown because I hadn't thought about it. I was just processing this a little bit deeper. And I read this, this sort of article, and, it, and, and one of the lines said this. It was just kind of describing it. <clears throat> it said, tire slashing, Budweiser drinking, bong ripping. This is the way of the LBI guy. And that's where I grew up, and it was actually very true. And there's sort of a label to that of, of where I come from. I haven't thought about that for years, but, it, but it's part of me. Now, we're, we're, we're able to be new creations. I don't give into that. But we could look back, and this is where I came from. This is what formed me in many ways. And that's, that's, that's not healthy. That's not fertile, fertile soil, as Roger talked about. And for me, there was kind of a movement to get out of that. But for some of us, we almost need to re we go back to those places and think about those places. Like, all right, here's where I grew up, pretty standard. But at some point along the way, something usually happens in our life that drives us to a place or not. Maybe that's your parents or, or, or a divorce or, or however that looked for you, a, a job that fell apart, a career that fell apart. These sort of broken places of our life that it's, it's always helpful to go back. Like, okay, that was there. That wound is there. This is part of me, right? I, I have a kind of a streak still in me that's a little bit that guy. Like, I know that about myself. It's, 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 it's part of who I am from where I grew up. Now, I don't, I don't live that way. <clears throat> I don't give in that way. But it's okay to sort of acknowledge that, to consider the sort of the context that we, we sort of grew up. And those, thi those things that are around us, like a toothless wild owl guy across the street from me, he helps sort of, sort of form me. And then, and then for you, and in places we put ourselves in, right, we'll talk about Lot in a second, where he puts himself in, like, the influence on us is a real thing. And if you're around people who are just driven by making money, that's going to wear off on you. If you're around people who, who give no regard for the poor, 
that's going to wear off on you. If you give, you know, hang around people who are obsessed with popularity, like that's going to affect you. And it's sort of an awareness of our environments that's, that becomes extremely important that we sort of admit, lot seems to miss in his, his story. One of the things that was great the other night is processing this, some of this stuff together. Um, is just doing it in community. <clears throat> and I read this quote this week from an artist, Madeline Perrault, and it says, no matter where we come from or where we're going, we've all got memories to contend with, and it's always best not to do this alone. I love the idea of being able to dig back into your story and where we come from together as a community. Sometimes it's guys and couples, and sometimes it's a larger group like this, to kind of lean into those, into those places. Community actually will help us discover ourselves. And we pick up this story of Lot, and we, we talked about it last week, and sorry if you weren't here, but essentially he had a, a breakup with Abraham, and he went and did his own thing. He had, he had all the world before him. He went and did his own thing, kind of obsessed with land and more opportunity, ended up in a bad place, gets captured, put in slavery, loses everything. Abraham rescues him, and we kind of find he ends up back in that place again. But we pick up this story, and I, I've, been, I've just been musing on it this week, because the story of Lot is not the focal point, point of Genesis, and, and, and nor of Abraham or of God. But the writer found it interest, important enough to keep him in this story. He shows up, he's mentioned, he shows up again, he goes away, he comes back again. We'll see him go away, he'll come back again. And so I can't help but think for the reader of that time is, is, is arguably Moses is crafting this to a people who have exited Egypt. They're wandering in the desert, and they're, wandering, they're wondering who they are. They were excited about God, and if you know this story, they were super excited to be free. Remember those people in the desert? They, they start to grumble. They start, Maybe we should just go back. They're fine as long as they don't pull on any cords. They're, they wonder, like, we should just go back to where we came from. It was better there. Right? And Moses is kind of writing, like, well, look at this story. Look what happens when you veer away from God's plan and his covering and enter sort of into your own story. I think he showcases Lot's self-destruction for the people of Israel who have not yet maybe entered the promised land or kind of wondering and, and thinking, where should we end up? What should we do? Should we just go back? And now Lot's story, we don't have all the details, but we do know this. His dad died at some point before marriage. That's a big deal. His dad died. He, he ended up moving in with his uncle. Uh, at some point, they all lived in, in this southern part, and they all, the whole family moved up north. They relocated, so there's, think about this guy's life. Some of you guys have that life, like you lost a family member, there was divorce, there was a move. It's hard. It's hard to understand who you are in those places. All of a sudden, everything seems to be okay. He's kind of in Abraham's household. Now there's this quest that they have to go on for God, because God's like, hey, I've got this awesome quest for you. Go down here, I'm going to give you all this land. He's like, oh man, I don't know, I, I guess. And at some point, I think he begins to wrestle with that himself. I think that's a very healthy wrestle. For people who have gone along with the flow of a sort of family, because you don't really have a choice, it's like, I don't even know what this quest is about. All these people seem to be following God to do this thing, and I'm like, I don't know if I get it. That's a really honest place to be in. That's a very much a sort of, if we could sympathize for Lot a little bit, that's where he's at. And he begins to, to, to have less identity with this God story, this God narrative, and becomes a little more entwined with his own, right? He starts to acquire stuff requires livestock and land, and he wants more of that. And of course, at that time, as it is today, that's central to who you were. How much stuff do you have? How much land do you have? Your land over? How many servants do you have? How many sheep and goats do you have? Like, that was your status. Where do you live, right? I mean, we've, we wrestle with the same things today. Where do you live? How much stuff do you have? That tells me a lot about you, if you're important or not. And so Lot sort of gives into this sort of world that 
that, that he, he's, he's lured into because of it's his identity. It's like, you know, I'm going to identify with that. I'm going to make something of myself because I'm not as comfortable here following Abraham around on this crazy story that God's, this God has given. And he begins to be kind of driven by these, these things, these, these, these opportunities. And rather than fight it, he just gives into it. And he puts himself in environments that he can cultivate that. He ends up in, in Sodom where there's trade and he begins to work deals there. And, 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 and there's, um, at some point, it references him, references him being a city official. So he's, so he's growing in status in the city of Sodom, which we know Sodom is declining morally big time. Right? That's going to be a problem for Sodom like in a few chapters. But Lot's sort of living this different life. And he stepped away from Abraham, the covering of Abraham and of God into his own, and he gets himself in sort of a lot of trouble. Because he didn't really want to be associated with Abraham. Remember where Abraham was living? In tents between cities. He was kind of going back and forth. He hadn't inherited any land yet. He's like, What's, where do you live? Where's your uncle? Like, ah, he lives kind of between the cities in those tents. Like, that's not a real high status thing. And Lot kind of moved, moved in, into, that, into that place. And if we're honest, we think about those things often. I remember I was preaching a few years ago, and as is the case sometimes, I can't remember the, the topic, but I made some fun of the great city of Bakersfield from the pulpit. And uh, Bakersfield obviously is like a favorite joke around here in Ventura, and it just goes over well, and people laugh, and so I took a shot at Bakersfield. After the service, somebody came up to me, and they said they were really offended by that. They said, you know, there are great people in Bakersfield. Now, I don't know. They were probably being too sensitive, and I'm not sure if I made references again or not. But all to say, and people care about the places they're, they're from, and it hurts when people make fun of it. Right? I live in Oxnard. It's crazy. I don't even think about it, but when I, you know, amount people don't know, like, oh, the Nard. Like, what's the Nard? I didn't grow up here. Like, I like the Oxnard. We live in a nice part. There's some sketchy parts. There's sketchy parts of Ventura. We have, you know, the shores and river park. It's fine to me, but people in Ventura are like, oh, the Nard, right? Like, and, it, and I don't know. I'm mostly over it, but a part of me thinks, oh, I got to get back to Ventura because then I'll, like, live in Ventura, right? And that's just an honest thing that we wrestle with. And so a lot moves from like, ah, we're just going to live in these tents for a while in between cities until God does something. He's like, I don't know if I'm interested in that. And kind of begins his own pursuit. And once, you, once he got in this environment out of Abraham's household, these people of Sodom who were kind of all about their own thing, it influenced him. I was working yesterday at, at the brewery, and we had this, this sample sale in our parking lot for the brand Iron Resin. <clears throat> And Iron Resin's a, a local brand. They do, like, pretty high-end surf and motorcycle and camping kind of gear, like, you know, $60 T-shirts and $40 camping mugs and that kind of thing. And it's really cool stuff, but uh, it's, you know, it's probably not the kind of stuff you buy often. But when a sample sale comes in, you're like, ooh, sample sale. Like, maybe I need that stuff. And I'm working. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to kind of let it pass. A few people came in. like, hey, did you go out there yet? Did you go out there? They're like, no, I don't, I don't need anything. I've got a closet full of stuff. I'm fine. If I don't see it, I'll be better off, right? And a few people came in. I'm like, well, just if you see anything for me, let me know. You shop for me. I, Amy came in, like, just whatever, go find me something. And my friend David came in. He's like, all right, go find all the medium stuff, you know? And I, and I kind of let it go. At some point, though, there's like a break. And I'm like, ah, eh, I'm going to go walk through the sample cell. So it's out in this parking lot. And it's kind of space like this. And there's just boxes of stuff and, and racks. And everything's like, you know, $5, $10, super cheap, shirts, jackets all kinds of stuff. And I'm kind of walking around like, <clears throat> I don't need anything. 
driving, you know, walking past these boxes. And there's this guy out there like next to me. And he's this other like 30 something bearded white guy like everybody was at that place. And he's talking to himself and he's super funny. He's like, oh, this one too, I guess. And he picked up a hat and he's like, oh, why not one more? And he grabs this you know, other hat. And I just kind of start to laugh because he's sort of just, he's just kind of going for it. And he already has like three in his hand. He has all these hats. And I'm like, and I was like, man, that's so good. And he's like, he's like, oh, you know, I only have 35 hats. Why wouldn't I pick up three more, right? Like, and I'm like, he's like, I don't even know why I'm hat shopping right now. Like, he just came to the brewery and he ends up with all, all these hats. Thank you so much, dude. I know, I'm dying. It was loud yesterday. I just did a lot of yelling. And, and he picks up all these hats and, and he's like, I don't even know why I'm, I'm shopping right now. I'm like, yeah, because it's here as I picked up like a hat, right? Like, it's just what is going to happen. I walked out of there with three hats. I have at least 35 hats. I have this hat on today. I didn't even want to wear this hat today. My wife brought it for me. I'm like, shoot, I have to wear that hat. Like, I, you're out there around all this stuff with these people and all these cool things. Like, you're going to get the stuff. Like, but I walked in. You know, I didn't have to walk into that place. When Lot left Abraham and he walked into this other environment, like, it was probably going to go bad for him. Like, as soon as I left the safety of the brewery out into this retail zone, like, it was trouble. Like, that's just sometimes how it goes, right? And we get swept up in these things and become part of our identity. My wife and I were watching this movie uh, last week. Excuse me. And there's this great quote, and it talks about consumerism and minimalism. And there's this great quote from Jimmy Carter in 1979 He said this, human identity is no longer defined by what one does, but rather by what one owns. In 1979, it's no longer defined by what one does, but what one owns. Like, what are you wearing? What car are you in? Where do you live? All this stuff. And it is real things that people of the Bible are wrestling with. It also gives me appreciation for Abraham, who's a talented guy, a courageous and smart and wise man to stay committed to the call of God, right? And God blessed him for that. And these areas that we sometimes find comfort in, whether it's, you know, shopping or, or trips or whatever those things are in your life that you, you give into, sometimes they just make us feel good for a while, and that's like, you know, that's okay, we all have those things. But they can turn on us very quickly and become a problem, right? And these areas of comfort, they sometimes they end up being these, this never-ending pressure in our life to be this person, this person is somebody else to have this thing, to act this way, to look this way. And the writer's addressing this, this, this identity issue here, I think, through the person of Lot, to a people coming out of Egypt who've just been in slavery for 400 years. They've recently been liberated by God that they, some of them probably barely know. They're, kind of, they're kind of going along with this crowd. They're in the desert. It's, this is the time of Moses. They have not entered, entered in the promised land yet. And they're just kind of like, what are we doing? What are we doing out here? Like, this is crazy. What is this story? Who, who's telling this story? And there was a temptation. Like, well, let's just go back to Egypt. At least we had stuff there. At least we knew where we belonged. At least we knew where we fit in. At least we knew our identity. And the writer's like, all right, let me address some of this stuff because it doesn't go well. And pack our identity with these other things and leave the story of God. I want to do this kind of quickly. I want to hit chapter 15, and, and we may get, get into this in, in a couple weeks, but um, if you guys can hang for a few minutes. Chapter 15 of Genesis, it moves into this, back into this, this story. So we've come out of Lot's sort of self-destruction and rescue, and then he's going to kind of find himself back into that. But it comes back to Abram, and we'll see this, sto- this sort of narrative in this book 
you know, Abram has a part, he, he's kind of a crash and burn, he comes back to God, and then he gets off track, or someone gets off track, and he comes back to God. <clears throat> and it says, after this, this is uh, uh, chapter 15, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. This was just some kind of technicality in the line of who would inherit his stuff. Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant of my household will be my heir. When the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. Abram said, I don't even see how this is possible. I have no kids. God said, look at the stars. That's, that's going to be like your kids. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to them, I am the Lord. He brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. This is sort of his initial call in chapter 11 and 12. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that, you, that I will gain possession of it? Now remember, there's times gone by, and he's there. Other people were in the land. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated. Remember the people reading this in the early times, like, yeah, that's us. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, which God did. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions, what they haven't had yet, but it's going to come. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot, this is just this crazy cool thing, when the sun set and darkness had fallen, a smoking, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates, the land of, of the Kenites, Kezites, Kadamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Yigarites, Jebusites. All these people were in that land that he was supposed to have. So he says, I'm going to give you all that land that they're in. And we kind of, we, we sort of have God make the, renew this covenant with Abraham. But what's cool here, I just want to kind of hit this for a minute. This idea of cutting animals in two, which is kind of crazy. It's like, all right, so here's what you're going to do. Go get a bunch of animals and cut them in half. And then, like, put them apart from one another. Like, okay, like, that's weird. What are we, what are we doing here? And in, in the context of that day, in the sort of ancient Near Eastern world, particularly in these, these grand treaties, this was a way of, of making a covenant. They would... They would cut two animals. I have like a picture of it. It's not real graphic, but there were some graphic ones I, I, I resisted. But, but they would cut these animals in half and sort of let the blood run down between these animals and put this pathway here. You could, you could put that one off. But, but they, they would do this with these animals. And they cut. And, and really the, the, the word covenant, the ancient or, origin of Hebrew is to cut, right? It's, it's to cut. They would cut these, these things in half. And then the covenanting parties, so there was two parties. We talked about last week in, in, in a conditional covenant. Both people had to agree, or if they didn't, it would break the covenant. The covenant parties, would, they would walk between these animals. They'd walk between the animals and, and the carcass and the blood. This is just crazy stuff. This is how they did it. They'd walk between the animals, as, and they would say this sort of, they would kind of say this to, to one another, each other, as if to sort of make this covenant. They said, 
if I fail to fulfill this covenant, may God do to me as it is done to these animals. And it's a very, it makes the covenant very real. Like, whoa. Like, if you're making an agreement with somebody, it's serious. It's a serious deal. And they cut these things in half, and they make it kind of like a little bit scary. Like, the commitment was a, was a big deal. These land commitments were a big deal. And this is how they did it. Now, Abraham would have known that. That would have made sense to him. So when God says, hey, get some stuff and, and, and cut it apart, Abraham's like, oh, well, we're doing a covenant, so I get that. I understand that part. But what's, what, what the twist is here, and what's very cool about our, our God, is that in the, in, the, in the covenant agreement, when they did this, both parties walked through. But in this party, only God walks through. Only God passes through. As if to say, God's saying, I am going to carry this covenant myself. Abraham stayed, stayed off, stayed, stayed at rest. God passed through in this sort of smoking, this crazy scene of this smoking pot in, in this torch. Where normally a covenant, oh, both people have to hold their own end of the bargain or it doesn't work. In this story, only our God walks through. He says, Abraham, even if you fail to do your part, I will be faithful. And God's saying to his people, even if you fail, this God is faithful. And that's the covenant God is making here in, in this story, in the sort of this origin story for us. And this story is a reminder of the overarching narrative of God who's good and he's gracious and he cares for his people. And if you're people in slavery or coming out of slavery or dealing with empires through the Old and New Testament or even today when we feel like things are just falling apart, God's story is one of insistence. He says, trust me, I got this. Trust me, I got this. I've got this covenant. That which I've spoken, I'm going to take care of. I will make all things good. I will make all things new. I will make all things whole. I will deliver you. And those are powerful promises. And for Abraham in this story, and we're going to have, we're closing a song. No one, Britain, you guys can come up. What this does for Abraham in this story at this point again, is, man, I think it would give him great courage. God's saying, I'm going to shoulder this thing. Don't worry about that. I have delivered you out of things before. I will deliver you again. And God said, hey, set this thing up. Let me show you a covenant. And then you're about to step through and say, God, no. God's like, nope, you're not going through. I'm going through. I'm going to carry this thing myself. And that's a, that's a, a sh- massive paradigm shift in the sort of ancient world, and maybe even for some of us today, in thinking about the divine, that our divine says, don't give me anything. I'm going to do this. This flips the whole thing on its, on its head for the, for the people of that day and maybe for, for you and I. So I want to pray, and we're going to close in a song. We're going to take a few moments just as they kind of set up. Just to, I just want to invite us into a time to maybe to listen for God. Whatever that means for you today, now, I know for me it's hard sometimes to listen. I got a ton of prayer requests. That's not hard for me to think of things I need. Sometimes to listen. Listen. The Bible says a woman will know his voice, a sheep will know his voice. And sometimes we have to exercise that. So let's take a minute. I know it might be awkward for some of you to sit in quiet. Feel free to think, don't think. Listen, pray if you need to. We just want to create a moment and just invite the Holy Spirit into that. God, thank you for this afternoon. And just for a story, God. For a story, for the writers of story. Lord, there's so much in here, Lord, about our own identity and who we are and what we're afraid of and who we want to be and who you are and and how we make that work, God. But I thank you ultimately at the end of the day when the papers are drawn up, when these covenants are are designed and there's places for two signatures, you're like, no, I'm going to get this myself. I'm just going to sign the covenant. I thank you for that, God. 
I pray for anyone who needs a reminder of that, of just your grace and love, and that your story is for us, not against us, that you're big and sovereign. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to speak and minister in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. The preceding was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Jesse Giglio was speaking. For more information about New Church, go to N-E-U-E-C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. Again, that website address is N-E-U-E-C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you and yours.